and the truth is I have no story. Claire Schwartz. I too, having lost faith in language, have placed my faith in language. Terence Hayes. One. This is not about that. This is about everything after. This is about how all of a sudden there was only one after. How the infinity of tiny afters, after school and after my most recent birthday and after A and I ducked behind a couch, hiding from nothing and she told me that she was falling in love with me and after my chest opened to a new kind of wanting and after I had a fever and after the first time I threw a frisbee without its careening into the ground, were all swept away into the only after that stretches out endlessly over the unfolding nows. This is about that. My language is so imprecise. I am thrashing in what I can't tell you. Like how people north of Pennsylvania say the city like there was only ever one, and it is, of course, New York. No Newark, no Hoboken, no New Haven, no Boston, no Providence, no Portland, just New York, dressed in its sparkling lights and beautiful people, its bright red scarves and head wraps and food carts recklessly jettisoning the aroma of gyro and bagels and tacos and pad thai across it all. I hate New York, I usually say, when the subject comes up, meaning maybe how could any city that flaunts its beauty like that let this happen to me? Though I know all cities eat their own, and this is not about the city. 2. You're so lucky you weren't killed, the first person I tell tells me. I'm a sophomore in high school, and she is an English teacher and my advisor. I have moved to Manhattan from Nashville. I want to go home to my grandparents and my cousins, to a city whose heartbeat and language I know. My teacher is still talking. There's a bug in her hair. I watch the bug slowly climb the mousy blonde strands and wonder how I am supposed to respond to her comment. I am silent, the bug inches on. That evening, in line at the grocery store, I watched the slim, middle-aged white man in front of me calmly hand his brie to the cashier. I imagine tapping his shoulder and saying, Oh, what luck! It's wonderful that you are not dead. When I laugh at my own thought, it sounds like I'm trying to dislodge a stone from my chest. The brie buyer looks at me. I become engrossed in the gum beside the register. You're so lucky you weren't killed. The words feel slender and sharp as the blade that was pressed against my neck that night, stroking a border so fine you can touch it and touch me at once with each of its cool metal faces. You killed. Three. At least you weren't killed. At least you have access to medical care. At least you have insurance. At least you have wonderful friends. Because the ones who tell me this are my friends and my teachers and the social workers and the doctor. I hold their words and outstretched hands, even though my anger is mounting and I want not to be touched. These days I speak few words 
and I certainly don't have the vocabulary to dismantle what's been forced on me by people called safe. I don't have breath to say, no, I will not be grateful for my rights. I will stand with two feet on this earth, and I will always say thank you when someone does something kind, and sorry when I've done something wrong, and never outside of that. And yes, I am furious that I am pulled between poles of gratitude and apology, both of which are violent erasures. Thank goodness I wasn't killed. I'm sorry I'm so inarticulate. I can't name it then, but I feel the words at least eroding my voice. I sense that at least marks an end to the story I'm supposed to tell, that I'm supposed to say something gracious in response, thank goodness, or else nothing more at all. At least curbs my telling too much truth. It's a blunt instrument wielded to club a reckless retelling into submission. The story ends here. But the truth is I have no story. Nothing can corral, I can corral into a coherent narrative. Four. One once a teller in a time like this. Five. That which is not a coherent narrative appears everywhere. In the classrooms where I stop talking, in the school-mandated therapist's office where we face off in silence for 45 minutes each week, in food, which I eat too much of or not at all, when my best friend comes up behind me and wraps me in a hug, the anger darts up my chest and I instinctively push him away hard a few days later. I show up at his house inexplicably shaking after another friend ran up behind me as I was walking home from the library. What happened? he asks. Nothing, I tell him. It was nothing. 6. You know that moment when you trip and you are poised with equal possibility to fall flat on your face and to take the next step and your heart shoots up in your throat. Every second feels split. Normality and catastrophe equally plausible. The assumptions I once cobbled into a day no longer hold. There is no, uh, there is not a man hiding behind that tree. No one will break into my apartment and kill me while I sleep. I will be able to sleep until the morning. I will be here in the morning. The stones that compose the ground on which I've always walked have come loose, swirling unpredictably around my head, and here I feel myself saying it. At least I have ground. 7. Eventually, I go into a small liberal arts college in New England. It's beautiful, which is true, and also something people say over and over when they don't want to talk about other truths like the relationship between the institution's vast resources and the rampant poverty in the post-industrial towns that surround us, or how the brochures boast that we don't have frats, but the culture of fraternities clings instead to sports teams. 8. A friend is assaulted by an adjunct professor. The deans tell her to keep it quiet. A sophomore is pressing charges against a student who raped her at a party. The, the school takes no measures to keep him away from her. Her friends take turns sleeping in, a room, in her room. Their grades drop. Their relationships become strained. These are the stories we tell each other quietly. 
9. Sometimes people tell me that something bad happened to me, but I am brave and strong. I don't want to be told that I am brave or strong. I am not right just because he is wrong. I don't want to be made noble. I want someone willing to watch me thrash and crumple because that, too, is the truth, and it needs a witness. He broke me, I say to a friend. You're not broken, she whispers back. I turn my palms up, wishing I could show her the pieces. 10. In college, I write my senior thesis about Audre Lorde, June Jordan, and Pat Parker, three queer African-American poets who died of breast cancer. How, I want to know, do they give form to what is happening in their bodies, their minds, as they are dying? How do they make their way in the same language used to write them out of history books? Is it the same language? In so many ways, our contexts are different. But I'm beginning to understand that my own white-learned unresponsiveness to the shapes of their questions has something to do with the ongoing violence at the heart of this nation. Jordan wrote, In the same way that so many Americans feel that we have lost our jobs, we suspect that we have lost our country. We know that we do not speak the language. And I ask you, well, what are we going to do about it? We must, she says, make language accountable to the truths of our experience. She advises us to turn away from the commonplace, I was raped. When I read these words, I am in a carol in the basement of the library. My knees pressed to my chest, my elbows tight against my knees. I read the words again, put the book down. I stand up. I stretch my arms toward the ceiling. I trust Jane, June Jordan with her scimitar brilliance and truth-telling ethic. The activist and poet who wrote, I am black, and I am female, and I am a mother, and I am bisexual, and I am nationalist, and I am anti-nationalist. And I mean to be fully and freely all that I am. Jordan, who refused to see contradictions as conflicting, who insisted that the difficult truth is also the site of her grinding, of her girding question, where is the love? I take a deep breath and settle back into my chair poised to receive the new language I know she will give me to speak my experience. The victim must learn to make language tell her own truth. He raped me. I am devastated. I don't want to be made the object in my retelling. I was raped, I whisper. That too feels wrong. I set the book down on the table. 11. When I was little, I used to curl up in the black and white striped armchair in our living room with a thick book. Sometimes I would read, but often I just held the book in my lap as a signal to passers-by to let me be while my imagination roved. I treasured these moments of quiet. I grew into them, stretching out my girl mind into the implausible and absurd. I love my quiet. I hate how, in the after, my quiet has become silence. The room in my chest that was sky-lit has become a sealed and padded cell. 12. B. Somewhere in this essay is a love letter to you. Your love brought me back to my quiet. I needed a new language. I, I needed a new story. 
one where I don't have to remember the beginning, I don't know the end. This is a love letter to our love, which was never the kind of durable love that built itself around errands and taxes. It was all our bodies and your brilliance, your language, and where our language trailed off together into something dark and shimmering, like the sea, like the mud, like the shape of my imagination when I clutched a book for its world and its heft, like the Nashville summer nights when lightning bugs gifted their tiny glow, unjarred, all halo, all fleeting. 13. Judith Butler says that we suffer from our contradiction, uh, sorry, from our contra condition of addressability. My body feels like my condition, and everything feels like an address. 14. I look for them everywhere, women like me, and they find me too. A teacher in my high school tells me, crying, it happened to me almost 30 years ago as I wonder whether three decades will sediment any of this for me. They are in the newspaper where the truth of their testimony is produced. He is prodded. The truth of their testimony is prodded. The victim claimed she believes they are on the other end of the rape and sexual assault hotline I volunteer with in college. We sit next to each other on the bus. We recognize each other or we don't. My beautiful friend in graduate school says to me, I sit down and I just lose time. I know, I say. 15. In my notebook, I write, Create. There are parts of you even you can't give away. 16. Go to court. Don't go to court. Get a rape kit. Don't get a rape kit. Don't take a class with that teacher. He's handsy. Don't take a class with her. She's unsympathetic. Don't watch violent movies. Don't watch movies that might be violent. Don't be angry. If you're angry, explain why calmly. If I were you, I wouldn't wear that. I'd rather be dead than be raped. I'd rather be dead than be you. Don't talk about rape. Do you have proof? Don't get defensive. Avoid your triggers. Don't eat at restaurants with steak knives. Are you eating? You look thin. You look fat. No one's going to want to go home with you. Don't let people you don't know into your home. Who do you really know? Who do you really know anyway? Don't walk alone at night. Don't not walk alone at night. This is your life. This is your life. This is your life. 17. After college, I've moved back to Nashville. My girlfriend, M is a social worker, and she's heard from a colleague of hers of a lesbian therapist who specializes in PTSD. Do you want to try? She asks me. Not really, I tell her, thinking of the mutual stare-down with the therapist I saw in high school, thinking of the doctor who asked if I was gay before, thinking that I am really, all things considered, finally doing okay. I have a job teaching high school. I can sleep for hours at a time. I can go days, sometimes weeks, without having flashbacks. M looks at me with exhaustion. I guess I'll try, I say. A smile pops onto M's face like it's been released by my acquiescence. The therapist's office is attached to her home. She invites me in. 
I sit on a brown corduroy armchair. She asks me a series of intimate questions, as though reading directions for shampoo use. I answer her equally sterilely. Two. Are you religious? I say, Jewish. Do you have siblings? A younger brother. Have you experienced trauma? I say, I was beaten and raped when I was 16, as though agreeing, yes, wash, rinse, repeat. Oh, she pauses, looking at, up at me. At least you weren't killed, she says, writing something down in her notebook. M looks hopeful when she picks me up. How was it? It was fine, I say, and thank her for coming to get me. In our next session, the therapist says we are beginning the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I read that the first step involves holding aspects of the traumatic event in mind. I tell her I don't think I'm ready. She tells me it will be helpful. I wonder if I can say no. She probably knows what's best. She tells me to visualize the part of the scene I remember most strongly. I throw up in her bathroom. That night, I sleep on the couch. The next day, I call my friend Anisha and tell her I will never go to therapy again. After a sleepless night, fighting to keep the past from consuming my present, I'm furious that everything I've worked so hard to rebuild seems to have crumbled. It feels like I'm right back there. In the week after it happened, the stakes are too high, I say. I had it all under control. I can deal with this myself. Anisha tells me, a good therapist knows you have to live in the house while you remodel. 18. I lie awake all night thinking about how I am completely exhausted, staving off sleep and trying to stop thinking about what might happen if I allow myself to close my eyes. I watch the sun rise, which tells me it's time to start again. 19. I find H on the Psychology Today website, a blog that allows you to search for therapists. According to the site, H is the only therapist in my area who has noted that he sees transgender clients and whose description doesn't strike me as completely disingenuous. I am cisgender, but... I imagine a therapist who only sees cis clients has little understanding of gender and little recourse for facilitating healing. I call him. We set up an appointment. At the end of the session, I am amazed at myself for sitting in a room alone with a man for 45 minutes. I tell H so, and he nods. We talk during our sessions, or don't. At the end of each meeting, I promise to come back next week. A therapist with an office down the hall from H has a dog. I tell H I saw the dog, and he is adorable. H asks me if I'd like the dog to be at one of our sessions. I say yes. I'm surprised when, the following week, the dog is in H's office waiting for me. I don't want to thank H. Instead, I say, I've never really said all of it out loud. H does not say, what are you talking about? He does not say, really, eight years later? Or, at least you aren't killed. H says, I'm here to listen if you want to tell me. And then, if you don't want to speak, I am still here. Will it help? I ask. I want a definitive answer. Even as I suspect that men with definitive answers about my body have something to do with why I'm there in the first place. It might, H says. Some people find it helpful. 
Others don't. I say nothing. To make a narrative of what I don't remember feels like a lie. There is no sense here. I stare at a photograph of the huge and knotted tree on H's desk, but out of the corner of my eye, I can see him there nodding like my quiet and not knowing is something to affirm. His kindness threatens to loose everything I have wrapped so tightly. 20. Everything changed that night. I repeat it to myself like a mantra, shoving down the question that keeps bubbling up. How can it be that not everything changed? The same dumb sun, the same impossible horizon. Beauty hurts. It enters me, even as I have fortified myself to keep everything out. 21. I realized that I read Jordan wrong. I took her language rather than joining her project. I saw, he raped me. She first said, the victim must learn to make language tell her own truth. I made something from it, but I am not better for it. 22. I am not sorry, and I am not grateful. 23. I can do only two things. Describe this flight and not add a last line.